Some of you who follow comedy will have come across at one time or another the great work of the Monty Python uh, troupe. And perhaps you've come across a sketch that was started uh, with a tour of America and included Marty Feldman, who wasn't one of the Pythons. And it was called The Four Yorkshiremen. And the four of them are sitting around drinking champagne and wearing tuxedos and smoking cigars and saying, who'd have thought that 30 years ago we'd be here today drinking champagne like this? And ah, yes, they say, uh, in those days uh, we, we was poor, but we was happy. You know, and, and then they start out trying to outdo each other in how poor they were. But so I, yeah, we lived in a house with tumble-down house with holes in roof. You had a house, 26 of us in one room. The guy says, luxury. We lived in cardboard box on motorway. You know, and they go on and on, and they get worse and worse and worse, outdoing each other in how dreadful it was in those days. And they're saying, you tell the young people of today that, and they won't believe you. You know, and it, it's, it's just exaggeration. And in the humor, we see ourselves. And we see all our follies and foibles, and we see the ways in which we tend to compete with one another and recast the past in ways we think are good for us at the moment. And, and we laugh. And that's exactly what is going on with the story of Jonah. It's one of the funniest books of the Bible. And it starts with outrageous absurdity when God asked Jonah to go to Nineveh. An Israelite is being sent to the capital of Assyria, the enemy, a dreadful, vile place full of notoriously dreadful and vile people. And there's no way that these dreadful people are going to repent. It's roughly where Mosul is in today's Iraq. We're still, we're used to cool stories like the disciples who Jesus comes along and says, follow me, and they leave their nets and they follow, or, or the prophets who say, I'm not worthy, I'm just a dresser of sycamore trees, and there's a bit of conversation, but eventually the prophet gets it. Not Jonah. The first whisper that God wants him to do something, he goes the opposite direction, as far and as fast as he can. The, the word means goes to a distant place. And, 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 and on the way, he's on a boat. You'll recall from Sunday school or from spirituals, the belly of the whale. And he's on this boat, and things start going wrong, and he realizes that he's being pursued by God. And when he's pursued by God, nothing could be worse, and he'd just as soon die. It's the first sort of, uh, of that strain that becomes the Jewish mother joke. You know, kill me now that I should, I should, live, I should live to see my child marry a Christian, whatever it is, you know. <laughs> And, and he says, kill me now. And, and eventually the sailors take him, so they're throwing everything overboard, and eventually they throw him overboard, and he winds up in the belly of this huge fish. This is not a good story for humorless literalists at this point, you know, wondering how big the fish had to be. And, 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 it, and, he's, he, and suddenly his, the fish vomits him up on the shore after much more prayer, and, 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 and the clean, pure Israelite has become unclean in some way. And then we get to our passage today. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And, and like all good jokes, we're thinking, rut row, here it comes. What's now? And how will that whale story get topped? And he's sent to Nineveh again. And Nineveh, by this point, has become vast. Three days walk across, no less. You know, you can hear the exaggeration going on. What a dreadful thing he had to do, an exceedingly large city. And, and faithful Jews of the time would recognize that that Jonah is Noah sort of inside out, and he's threatening essentially a destruction like the flood. Forty days you will be destroyed. No call for repentance, no good news, no hope, just you're going to get yours. 
And Jonah's quite actually satisfied with that whole scenario. Except these ridiculous, dreadful, awful people repent and put on sackcloth and ashes and declare a fast. That in itself is sort of a ridiculous notion that these vile and unrighteous people would do that. And Jonah is furious and unhappy and awful. Why did I do all this? You're going to let, you're going to, you're going to let him go. And he goes off from his rage at this God, and sits in a field essentially and sulks. And he gets depressed. He goes from anger to depression. Very standard sort of thing. And God sends, uh, plants a tree, and the tree comes up and gives him shade, and he's happy. And then God sends a worm that eats the roots of the tree, and the tree dies. And Jonah is just back on this, kill me now, kill me now. I'd rather die. It's so awful. And God speaks to him a third time. And we know we're about to get the punchline. And the punchline comes, and he says, you pity the tree. God, yes, I pity the tree. You'd die for that tree. Oh, God, I'd die for that tree. God says, well, then I pity the Ninevites. There are so many thousands of them. They don't know their left from their right. And, and I can show mercy. My mercy is so abundant. And we say, what a good joke. What a good joke. And we remember that God is God of not just of Israel, but of all people, even the people we can't stand, even the people we hate. And that, that God's grace is more expansive than anything. And our anger and our depression is sort of silly when it comes right down to it. And we laugh and we go away. And say, that was a nice story and a nice sermon and very true. And maybe if we let it sit for a bit with us, we maybe start really seeing ourselves in it. And we maybe really start recognizing <clears throat> that when we just have someone who's out to get us, when we have an enemy, when we have one especially that is unrepentant, who has no need to change their behavior in their own mind, when we have a parent who's addicted, or when we have a boss who makes our life miserable and there's no alternative job, we haven't been able to find and we have to put up with it every day, or when, uh, happened to a friend of mine recently, our identity gets stolen, the person who stole it means we're in this vortex of the system just dreadfulness after dreadfulness, rage after rage, little thing making us angry over and over and over again. And then at some point, you just get so fed up, life's not supposed to be this way, and you crash into, into depression, kill me now. Um, it, it's, that, it's like two sides of a coin, anger and depression spinning. And so many of us at one point or another have someone in our lives that is just making us miserable who just seem, and we seem to be able to, not able to get out of that session where, where that, that place where they have power. And it's really, really hard. It's really hard to forgive. It's really hard to be like God and just forgive the Ninevites. The Ninevites need to change their behavior, and they're not showing any signs of doing it in spite of the sackcloth, and in spite of the ashes, and in spite of all of the things they might say that goes on and it goes on and it goes on. And what do we do? How do we begin to forgive someone who's out to get you or who it feels as if they're out to get you? How do, you, how do we begin to separate ourselves from that cycle of rage and despair? How do we begin to say, I am not stuck? Well, perhaps we remember the joke. Perhaps we say, come on. Don't take yourself so seriously. You've got to find ways to, to start to limit the damage, hold those people accountable, make sure your family's protected, care for those who love you. 
And that may be pretty difficult, but at least it can be proactive. At least it doesn't have to be where we allow ourselves to be victimized by the behavior, the unregulated, dreadful behavior of another. And as long as that's true, we're going to have prisons. We need them. And as long as that's true, we're going to have a defense budget because we need one. But in our own lives, we can perhaps say, wait a minute, I'm getting caught up in that thing. And God said to Jonah a third time, what use is your anger? And now you want to die because the shade went away? Come on, get over yourself and think differently. Remember that that abundant mercy of God for Nineveh is abundant mercy for you. And that you can turn your life around in the most dreadful circumstances and begin to act in ways appropriate to a free, beloved child of God, however difficult the circumstance, and start to laugh off all of that rage and all of that despair and start to make choices that allow us to remember who we are and remember God's grace. Sometimes forgiveness is going to have to come later. Sometimes it will only come with distance. Once in a while, we're only able to forgive someone really when they are dead. But it's really hard work if we get caught up in the business of how can I forgive this minute to this person who keeps doing it to me. Sometimes that has to be God's grace. And what we have to do is start to regulate the behavior wherever we can regulate, hold people accountable, and not get bent out of shape, claim our own freedom where we can. It's, it's not easy following Jesus, but it is the way of life because it means we are not caught in the cycle of anger, anger and despair in the face of our enemies. Let us respond to the gospel in a time of silent prayer.